This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. They've got some useful tips that you might not be aware of. Did you know that a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior? I'm sure it would work wonders on the Iron Throne as well. You could also remove excess weight from your car to improve your gas mileage. And you can also place your keychain remote right under your chin to increase its range. That's weird, right? But here's something that's not that you can also use TrueCar to help you save money on a used car, too. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid so they'll know if they're getting a good deal before they buy. And you're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience when you connect with a TrueCar certified dealer. So when you're ready to buy that new or used car... Check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we're just getting started on the Game of Thrones rewatch of Blackwater. And now here are the two frightened hens that you're locked up in here with. I am Rob Sister, and here is Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm so craven. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Seven hells. Blackwater, baby. Unbelievable. The batter of Blackwater, baby. It's here. It happened. It's real. Yep. And so much of season two is leading us to this moment and josh was it worth it uh was everything that we've been through worth it to get to blackwater like are you saying karth is worth it to get to blackwater so far uh watching theon just be awful was that worth it uh these are questions that i don't feel like uh i have a great answer to but i will say that the battle of the blackwater this episode blackwater truly a singular masterpiece in uh in game of thrones lore up to this point uh really spectacular spectacular episode Right. It's like you can imagine the meeting in the sort of the season two pre-production. Benioff and Weiss is like, okay, well, we know episode nine is going to be the big battle at Blackwater Bay. And then, okay, well, what do we do for the let's uh, maybe spin our wheels for the first eight episodes to get ready for that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do think it it explains some things Uh, like I can imagine. Certainly, you know, Game of Thrones in season one does not have the budget that it gets later later along the way. You know, as as the show becomes this huge juggernaut, no one really knows exactly what Game of Thrones is going to be in terms of its cultural impact at the time that the first season is made, which, you know, of course, is expensive in its own right. But it gets bigger and, and more powerful as the show barrels along. And Blackwater is really our first big action uh, episode, our first true, you know, entirely battle focused episode. And I'm sure it's not spoiling anything to say that it won't be the last time that a battle will occur in Game of Thrones. But nothing to this scale, nothing of this size of this scope had ever occurred 
on the show up until this point. Um, so they're, you know, Benioff and Weiss and the writers team and the production team are entering season two now knowing that Game of Thrones is a hit and Game of Thrones has caught fire and people are paying attention. Wildfire. Caught wildfire. Yes, yes, yes. Jinx. Uh, and they're probably now thinking, okay, well, we are adapting the second book in George R. R. Martin's series of novels, A Clash of Kings, which culminates in this massive battle at the Blackwater Bay. So we're going to have to deliver on that. And we got to deliver on that in a really meaningful big way if you think back to season one and i don't know if this is something we said in the spoiler free section i think we touched on it in the spoiler filled section um there was this battle in season one where Tyrion lannister and the lannister forces were going to go battle it out with the starks and that's where uh there was the whole distraction and jamie lannister is captured by rob stark and before you even see a lick of the battle Tyrion is knocked out by a stampede and he wakes up and the battle is over and like it's kind of a clever witty way of getting around a big battle sequence but the battle sequence is fairly vivid in the book you couldn't do that with blackwater this they didn't really have to save is. money in the book no you know the budget they on must the have book a bigger was, budget for the book yeah i think that's what it comes down to uh but i think with with blackwater on the show there's just it's it's too iconic um the entire season is building to this point we've been in getting invested we're getting to know the stannis baratheon storyline uh we know that he is coming for king's landing he is coming for king's landing with force and with some momentum on his side and everything that's happening in king's landing this season is because everything is so fraught and so tense and there's this threat of a siege that's imminent and this war that is coming to their doorstep. You couldn't have an episode that didn't really dive into that in a major way. Uh, and Game of Thrones really delivers on that front. But I wonder if it is at the expense of like so much concern and so much time and so much preparation and energy went into this and some of the other storylines maybe dipped a little bit in quality as a result. Do you think that they could have structured it differently where they could have gotten into the third book here in season two? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because if they that had would've... to split the third book into season three and season four. And there's probably right. even things that they couldn't get in there. Yeah, I think in in season three and season four's case, and now we're now we're skirting the line. We're getting a little close, but I think we're still okay. There are some really massive events that happen in that third book that it could not be contained to a single season. You would have to split that across two seasons at least in order to convey at least the biggest points from that story. Um, I've always kind of contended that the second book in A Song of Ice and Fire is among the weaker ones. I think it's on the you know on the on the second half of the line. Uh, uh, for me, so I don't know that you could have stretched a Clash of Kings across two seasons of the show. I just think that some of the choices that were made in some of these other storylines, like you could have skewed a little closer to the book and maybe it would have worked out a little bit better. Uh, not naming names. We could talk about that in the spoiler filled section if you want. You know, what I'm saying is that could they have started the third book here in season two? Could they have even compressed the uh, Clash of Kings? Yeah, and I don't think that that needed to happen. I think that the issue is different. I think that the material that happens in Clash of Kings is compelling enough the book for a is season. Fine. It's the execution. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think that's more the thing for me. But Blackwater itself, like, I mean, I have been, you know, certainly like I've been giving the razzmatazz to season two a little bit here along the way. Uh, but Blackwater, they, it's not a, like a 1000% faithful execution of what happens in the book. I know all the chain truthers out there are rattling their chains uh, right now thinking about a fully faithful 
faithful uh, rendition of the Battle of the Blackwater. But it's pretty close, and it's at least really close in terms of the energy and the major uh, the major milestones of the battle. And for this to be the first episode of Game of Thrones that takes place entirely within one storyline is a really different thing. Usually we're bouncing all over the map, uh, literally. Uh, and in this case, it's all King's Landing all the time. And I don't know, what did you think? I mean, Blackwater really is such a hyped episode that on many of these lists of like best episodes of Game of Thrones or like, you know, ranking the episodes of Game of Thrones, a lot of people still have Blackwater, if not right at the top, then very, very close. Uh, does it does it live up to the legend for you, Rob? Well, to me, I think it was so great because and even on watching it again today that you have the big battle sequences that everybody remembers, the iconic imagery, Josh, of the big explosion happening in the bay and all of the fighting. But to me, I almost feel like the moments that happen, like the quiet moments with Cersei and Sansa. I mean, that stuff is to me as good as almost anything that's going on in the series. So you have the best of both worlds here. Yeah, that was something that I'd kind of forgotten because Blackwater is not an episode that I've really gone back and revisited a bunch. Uh, you know, that's one of the great things about this rewatch is going back and through the uh, through the archives of Game of Thrones. So when I think of Blackwater, I do think of that iconic image, as you point out, the wildfire exploding on the Blackwater Bay, which is just so massive and so memorable. Just this neon green fire that is barking all over the place. You remember Bronn with his bow shooting the arrow out into the middle of the bay. Bronn uh, really. Yeah, a Braun bomb indeed. What a strong guy, you know, to to be able to pull that off is uh, impressive. It felt like there was a lot of distance on that on that shot. Uh, but you remember, you know, you remember Tyrion getting slashed in the face is obviously a big moment. But uh, you remember the Hound is going to to rebel against the king. But I forgot about a lot of the stuff with Cersei, uh, with Cersei and Sansa, even with you know Tyrion's like private worrying. Um, some great moments with Varys and Tyrion in here as well uh, i'd forgotten about the soldiers you know drinking and the confrontation between Bronn and the hound so yeah there's just there's some really excellent material in this episode and if you haven't watched it in a long time and you're just listening to these podcasts i really do recommend going back and checking it out uh it's game of thrones at its very best through two seasons so far um i don't know if i have it above baylor but that would be the only one that it is in competition with this might be the best episode through uh through nine episodes of season two of all of Game of Thrones so far for me. Okay, so how do you want to discuss this? Do you want to talk about it by character? Ooh, by character. Um, I mean, the episode moves in such a sequence that it almost feels like we kind of just we kind of just got to go through the okay, thing. Let's go through it. So we start off with Stannis and his men on the move. Uh, we see Stannis. Uh, first of all, it was really great. I, I didn't need to see Stannis's guys uh, throwing up on the boat. I didn't need to see it. Uh, I don't. I was about to say I wanted to see it, but I didn't want to see it either. Yeah, it was all. It was all bad. It was bad. Vomit is not good. Yeah, I'm glad. Like I had like a little bit of a glare on my screen, so some of the really dark scenes <laughs> were hard for me to see. So I feel like I was spared a little bit of the uh, the seasickness. Yeah, and so we see some setup here between Davos and Mathos. Mathos will get uh, blowed up in oh, the yeah. Battle of Blackwater Bay by the wildfire. Davos says like Davos get down yeah and he doesn't get down fast enough and then Davos is blown off of the ship as well in short order too so could be a quick end for the Seaworth family there mm. uh 
but there is this debate that is happening between Davos and Mathos here uh, as the episode is beginning where Davos' son is talking about how the people of King's Landing are going to be thrilled to see us. They're going to be so stoked to see Joffrey's head on a spike. Yeah, that's just the one. It's just the one. And Davos is, you know, he's the realist. He's the he's the pragmatist. And he's saying, no, they're going to see us as strangers who've come to set the city on fire. Uh, turns out somebody else is going to be setting uh, things on fire. It's not going to be Stannis' crew. We see Tyrion and Shay shortly before the battle breaks out, and they are acting as if it is Tyrion's last night on the earth, Josh. And if it is, what a night. What a night, yeah. And we also see Cersei getting ready, and here comes Pycelle, and Pycelle brings something to Cersei, which we will see her look for at the end of the episode, some essence of nightshade. Love that nightshade. Nightshade, with its many uses, a single drop in a cup of wine soothes racking nerves. Three drops brings a deep and dreamless sleep. That sounds great as well. Ten drops? I don't think you want to do ten drops. Sounds like ten drops is a little too many. Uh, But it's it's basically Cersei's counter plan, as we're going to come to learn throughout this episode, that she's, she's acting as if this is her last night on Earth as well, and she needs a backup plan in case Stannis Baratheon breaks through uh, and is uh, in in the in the victory spot here in this battle of the Blackwater. So she's making plans for how to how to get herself out of this situation one way or the other. So as everybody is sort of preparing in their own ways, we see a lot of the soldiers that are going to be fighting in this battle. They are really spending their last night uh, drinking and with a bunch of different women Ron has a young woman who is in the service of Littlefinger with him. Now, Josh, do you remember this woman from earlier this season? I don't. Should I? Well, let me just say, I hope she brushed her teeth before she ends up hanging out with Bronn. Oh my gosh. Okay. I don't want to know. I don't want to pry. I don't want to dig any further. You know what? (laughs) I liked the story that Bronn was telling about how many times his his nose has been broken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At at least three. At least three times Bronn has broken his nose. Well, don't feel bad for his nose. Uh, Although then he ended up having other plans. We ended up seeing that there is some beef between the Hound and Bronn. Josh, is this new territory here in this episode? I mean, had there been any sort of a feud between Bronn and the Hound before this episode? No, this is first contact as far as I can tell, at least first meaningful contact between these characters. And I think it makes sense. You know, Bronn is uh, both of these guys are killers, as the Hound talks about. Uh, killing's the thing you love. You're just like me, only smaller. And Bronn is quick to add and quicker. Uh, but I think Bronn is the more cheerful of the two by far and always has been. You know, from the moment we saw him, he's been clever. He's been, you know, quick to joke with Tyrion. He's a drinker. You know, he's a philanderer. He he is uh, he is living his life as he sees fit. He's living his best life, uh, the best brawn life that you can have. Yeah. Uh, and the hound, like nothing, really brings him joy except cleaving people in half diagonally. Uh, so I think that he looks at Bronn and he's fighting for Tyrion. And the hound is supposedly, you know, he's supposedly working for Joffrey. So I think he's trained to dislike Tyrion and anyone associated with him. So it makes sense to me that he wouldn't be such a big brawn guy. I just feel like that the Hound might be off on this. I think that Braun enjoys a lot of other things besides killing. 
I think that's definitely right. Like, I think killing's the thing you love. I think it's more like, no, I, I'm fine with killing. Uh, killing okay. is the thing. Yeah, killing is the thing that gets me lots of money and gets me adventure and, you know, you know, gives me all these opportunities in life. I think that's what Bronze Deal is. I think the Hound is really projecting in this moment to a degree. We saw the Hound and Braun come close to getting into it. If you were a betting man, Josh, who would you take, the Hound or Braun? Wow, that seems like a real fight. That seems like a real matchup. The the Hound versus Braun. Um I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I think that like bronze tactics uh, that we saw in his battle at the airy uh, was, uh, you know, just like kind of like prancing around and the hound is kind of a heavier guy. I don't know, though. Uh, the hound is, is a force to be reckoned with himself. I, I would pay to see it. I'd be very excited to see such a match. I think I'd go with the Hound. I think I put my money on the Hound just because I think that the Hound, again, he likes killing more than Braun does. And, you know, Braun likes surviving more than he likes killing, I think. Whereas yes. the Hound, he doesn't really care about surviving. He just likes the killing more. And so I think that gives him the edge. Yeah, it'd be fun to see. Maybe we will see it in the future. Who knows? Keep watching, newbie listeners. Who knows? Okay, so the bells toll. We see Tyrion, and he is working with Varys. And so I'm not sure what Tyrion is, or I guess I am sure what Tyrion is trying to imply about Varys when he is saying, like, oh, you don't know, you're pretending you don't know who Podrick is? Don't you know who all the boys are in the city? Yeah, I think what he's what he's intimating here, I don't know if it's a jab, like a really underhanded thing, or if it's more like, I know how you get your information. Like, I know how you are able to have this vast spy network. You use people that nobody would think to use. You know all of the people in the city. You know all of the children in this city, I think, is more what he's driving at. I can't imagine that Varys knows everybody in King's Landing. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so... We see Tyrion have this conversation with Varys, and Varys wants to talk about, did you hear about how I was cut about when he was castrated? And so uh, Varys implies that there were some things that he saw there that he will never forget. Yeah, uh, you know, Tyrion is talking about blood spells and curses and shape-shifting. Do you think that I believe in any of that? And Varys says, I think you believe in what you see and what those you trust have seen. You probably don't entirely trust me, and yet I have seen things, and I've heard things, things that you have not and things I wish I had not. And have I ever told you the story about how I was cut? I'll tell you one day. Uh, So hopefully that day comes. That sounds like a hell of a story. Yeah. So we end up seeing the side of Stannis coming across the Blackwater Bay and they hear the bells and Davos says, oh, they're playing bells. Well, let's give them some music. Hit the drums. Yeah, and it's a real Westeros dance party. Like it's uh, I'm waiting for someone to drop the bass. Uh is that the wildfire? Is that where the where the bass drops? I'm not sure exactly how it works, but there is uh bells versus drums. Uh it could be a great survivor season one day, Josh. <laughs> that could be good. I don't know. I would love to see if anyone has put together like a rave video of the Battle of the Blackwater or like the beat drops when uh, when Braun lights up the Blackwater Bay. Uh, seems like something that I would be interested in. 
Okay, so Tyrion is getting set that there is, a, you know, some talk about what Tyrion is going to be doing during the battle, what Joffrey is going to be doing during the battle in this episode. And Tyrion is all set in his armor. He has an axe. Bronn is impressed. He remembers what he did with a shield earlier in season one. We see Lady Sansa and Shay come out because Joffrey wanted Sansa to see him off. Yeah, and Sansa has like a really subtle but uh, but pretty cruel dig at Tyrion, uh, where Tyrion is, you know, he's trying to be kind to Sansa, and certainly he's concerned about Shay being out in the open right now. Uh, and she says to Tyrion, "I'll pray for your safe return, my lord, just as I pray for the kings." And we, <laughs> and we know like she's not really a fan of the king, and I think that she's aware that Tyrion's aware that she's not a fan of the king. Uh, so what did Tyrion ever do to you? I thought that he was the nice one. Yeah, but at first I think he was like, oh, really? You pray for me? He's like, yeah, just as much as I do for the king to return. Zing. Zing. Yeah, Yeah, that's tough. (laughs) That's tough. Yeah. And so Joffrey comes out and he's got a sword and uh, he's got a new sword. It's called Heart Eater. Heart Eater. Yeah. Kiss it. Kiss Heart Eater. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess it's when I come home, you'll <laughs> taste my uncle's blood. Yeah, gross, man. Come on. Joffrey's so nasty. What a nasty little guy. Yeah. And, you know, she's talking. And I, again, I love Sansa here where she's like her best episode trying, so far. Yeah. She's trying to manipulate Joffrey into getting killed pretty much. Where She's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, what a stupid thing. Of course, you're going out to the vanguard. That's where Rob goes. Uh, and, you know, she's very clearly just trying to goad him into the front lines because he's obviously not going to make it if he goes out to the front lines. Yeah. But, you know, just really playing to that ego of Joffrey's. Yeah. But then she says to Shay about how she knows that Joffrey will be back because the worst ones always live. Yeah. Through two seasons of Game of Thrones, that could be the tagline, right? Like that mm-hmm. could be the that, that could be the, the slogan of the show. So there's this great scene that we end up having where we see Tyrion and Joffrey and the Hound and Lancel. They're all up at the top of the uh, castle where they can see over the walls and they can see these ships coming in and Joffrey is sort of freaking out. He's like, uh, where's the fleet, uncle? Where is it? <laughs> uncle. Yeah, it's a great who's on first that happens here where uh, where he, he where, <laughs> where Joffrey is like, Hound, ask the hand of the king where the fleet is. Uh, all right, the hand of the king, where's the fleet? And the hand of the king's like, Lancel, tell the hound to tell the king. And Lancel starts to, t- <laughs> to tell it to the hound. Yeah. Joffrey's just having none of it. It's just a great little back and forth. He threatens to cut Tyrion in half. Mm-hmm. And Tyrion says, well, that would make me the quarter man, which doesn't have the same ring to it. Mm-hmm. It's another good line. Great, great dialogue in this episode. All around. And so... Where are the ships, Josh? Do we know that that it's talked about that Davos and Mathos are talking about like, oh, well, maybe we snuck up on them because it's nighttime. Maybe that's where the ships are. But where are the ships? Are they out fighting? Do, Do the Starks have ships? I don't know. I don't. I I know that in the in the book they use more than one ship to instigate this wildfire plan. Um, of course, in the show they're only sending out the one ship, and I think that the idea is like we don't need to meet them at sea because we have one boat that we're going to send out there that's going to be spilling wildfire into the bay, and we're going to set it on fire. So we're not going to send our fleet on fire. So I think the fleet must be hanging back. Is is really the deal? Um, in the book, there's a there's a few more though, not a ton 
one more, and those uh, ships lead Stannis's fleet into basically a trap where they get like surrounded by. Uh, they get like uh, they get so far into the to the Blackwater Bay that a massive chain is raised up behind them that acts as like this makeshift fence, and then the wildfire explodes and the ships can no longer retreat. Uh, most of the fleet is trapped in like basically this uh, this rudimentary pen that has been created. So the show didn't go that way, but right. that's what the what the answer is in the book. So the book had this giant chain, which the show didn't use. I wonder if we'll ever see that giant chain somewhere else in the story. It would be cool to see like a giant chain at like in some battle, but like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So Sansa is uh, escorted by Shay into this uh, stronghold inside of the castle. And this is where Cersei is going to be set up with all of the ladies of the court. And Cersei getting drunk. Like, Cersei is just getting sloshed in this episode. Yeah, but it's all of the conversation with Sansa here is fantastic. And uh, Sir Ellen is here, too. Sir Illin is here. He's there to defend them. He says, when the axes smash down the doors, you'll be glad to have him. Uh, Cersei says that the guards are going to be the first to run. Um, and so Sir Illin is going to be the person who is going to defend us. Also, speaking of people running away and speaking of Sir Illin, apparently like the first three deserters have been identified. And Cersei sends Sir Illin to cut off their heads. Mm -hmm. uh, people need to fear you more than they fear the enemy is the lesson that she's trying to instill upon Sansa. Yeah, remember that. Remember that. So we that's Cer Cersei. I'm, I'm not editorializing. That's what Cersei says. Sure, 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 sure. So but maybe editorialize a little bit. <laughs> we uh, then go back out to the uh, to the bay and uh, we see Davos tell the archers to draw as a ship approaches and so they're waiting until they get close enough to shoot all of their arrows. And Davos says, hey, there's nobody on board this ship. Ghost ship. Oh, my God. Is it from Ghost Island? Oh, ghost ship. <laughs> ghost ship. <laughs> and there's also something leaking out of this ghost ship. And is that uh, ectoplasm? I was going to say that I think it's or the ecto ooze. It's the ooze that created the Ninja Turtles. So everybody in King's Landing is about to get uh, cross-pollinated. Yeah. yeah, it's mutagen. <laughs> I couldn't remember mutagen. I'm glad that you did. <laughs> sad story. Very sad story. Davos identifies it immediately. It's wildfire. Let's get out of here. But Bronn shoots his arrow into the air and then... Yeah, a lot of this episode from here on, like, I think that we'll be able to get through this fairly quickly because a lot of it is just like prolonged shots of carnage uh, of just like devastation. The show really makes a meal out of like the the aftermath of the wildfire assault. Uh, and it's not even just the wildfire that is consuming people like you're seeing, like bits of the ship fall on people and crush people like the devastation of war. Like you think of Blackwater, you think, Oh, what an action episode. That's so cool. Such an awesome episode. But like the show in, in this moment really takes the time to just like really dive into how horrible this stuff is and just how absolutely uh, devastating and disgusting and like really Barbaric. making you 
Yeah, really making you feel like what this must be like. It's just so savage. So really great job on that. Of course, Mathos gets scorched alive. Davos is blown off the ship. Stannis is watching all of this from a distance. Um, and he's not discouraged, you know? He's still ready. He says, prepare to land. The dwarf has played his little trick. He can't play it again. And he riles up his troops. And they're going to storm King's Landing on foot. Uh, all of this uh, all of this devastation be damned. Yeah. And somebody tries to talk him out of it. He says, Stannis, hundreds will die. And Stannis says, no, thousands. Stannis, what a, what a jerk. Stannis is always just correcting everybody around him. He's just like, you know, he's just fact-checking everybody. Fewer. More thousands. than fewer. Yeah. <laughs> More than fewer. Morist. The Morist <laughs> will die. All right. So, Sir Morist. We see another great Sansa and Cersei scene. Where she said, come here, little dove. And they get into a uh, conversation about the gods because uh, Sansa is praying. And Cersei's like, oh, what are you praying for? Like, oh, everybody's going to be safe. He says, oh, even me? And yeah, yeah, yeah you. It's like, even <laughs> Joffrey? And, she says, oh, and Cersei's like, come on, come on. Come on, like, no, I know. Like, Don't I kid know. a kidder here. Like, I know, I know. Yeah, she's really uh, in, like, this is the most honest we've ever seen Cersei because she is just blitzed at this point. Um, and she's, you know, I really think, like, a drunk history with Cersei would be an incredible thing to drunk watch. Drunk history of Westeros? Yes, I think, <laughs> I think that'd be good. Let me tell you about the story of Baker's Keep. The Baker the Cruel is a bad guy. <laughs> and you just see, like, I don't know, like, Will Ferrell playing Maker the Cruel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so they're having this moment where, where Cersei is talking about how she should have been born a man. I would rather face a thousand swords than be locked inside with this flock of hens, uh, which you and I would be thrilled to be locked inside uh, yeah. in this moment in time. Well, as long as Sir Illyn wasn't there. Yeah, that, he really does creep me out. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta yeah. be honest. And Cersei's also very honest with Sansa about that her uh, womanly charms. Uh, and she talks about how if it was anybody else besides Stannis, she would have a chance if she had some sort of a private counsel with him, but she'd be better off trying to seduce Stannis's horse. And she says the best weapon that she has is between her legs. And she goes right into uh, learn how to use it. Drink. Yeah. Yeah. So like, she's also like criticizing the way Sansa drinks wine. She's like, come on, drink, drink it for real. Uh, so she's really making Sansa chug, you know, chug, chug, chug. Uh, and then they start talking about what's going to happen yeah. if King's Landing gets sacked. And it sounds like a terrible evening. Yeah. She's just so cavalier about it. She's like, oh, I do think that uh, a number of the women in here are going to be in for a rape uh, if that's what happens. Yeah, that's, that's what she says. She says, she says, I think verbatim, these fine women will be in for a bit of a rape. <laughs> like, it's just like, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, she has some, some uh, she really makes it very colorful for Sansa. And yeah. then Sansa doesn't need to be told to drink, <laughs> to drink yeah. her next sip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have another. Thank you. Yeah. It's very bad. Very bad. All right, so Stannis's men are now raiding the shore. Tyrion is... A bit of a raid. Yeah, a bit of a raid is going on. And where's Tyrion saying, you know, pour the fire on him. And Joffrey is really getting upset. That like, oh, they're coming! They're coming! Oh, they know there's going to be so many of them, uncle! 
too many nunko yeah yeah and the hound is going to be sent out to to take care of stannis and his people and he's really you know we know he's fire reverse because of his origin that we've heard before about how he got his scarred face because his brother had pinned him into a fire so he tells these people if any of these flaming arrows come near me i'll strangle you with your own guts uh very vivid but the hound is going to he's going to lead the charge out there and we get into like this really cool extensive intense action scene uh where lancel lannister not doing well in the fight he gets like shot in the chest with an arrow it looks like yeah he is a whipping boy uh lancel lannister indeed indeed <laughs> the hound being a badass uh cleaves somebody completely in half um i think that's one of two people that he cuts just completely in half in this episode then we go back and it's a, such a interesting uh switch from the action-packed battle sequences to then all of the tension with cersei and sansa and cersei ends up keying in on shay and she starts having a lot of questions about Shay, about where she's from. Tell me a story. When did you leave Lorith? And Cersei is not buying anything about Shay. And we know that Shay is already looking for uh, Tyrion's lover. And she has Roz in captivity. And uh, she's like, again, much like Tywin with Arya. It's like she knows something is off with this person, but she doesn't put two and two together. Yeah, but I think that more than anything, like it, priorities shift very quickly. You know, Shay's about to tell her story, which could have, you know, dug her into a deeper hole. But then Lancel comes in and he's giving Cersei the scoop on what's happening. And Cersei commands Joffrey to be returned to, to his chambers right now. Don't have him in the midst of this dangerous battle. And Lancel's like, we can't do that. He's the king. We have to have the king out there. And then she like punches him in the wound, uh, <laughs> which he takes poorly. Yes, yes. And uh, so they want to end up bringing Joffrey back here. She sends him back out there. Uh, and we find out from Cersei, uh, do you really want to know why Sir Illyn is here? Because uh, they will not take us alive. Yeah, so what is she saying? That they're all just going to get beheaded? Like, that's going to be the move? Like, that's, oh my gosh. Like, say, you know, share the wealth on that uh, on that nightshade, you know? it doesn't have, Not everybody has to get beheaded over here. Yeah, I just wonder with Sir one Sir Ellen with uh, you know a hundred women that are in there. Maybe all right, let's say fifty women that are in there. You get to a point where it's sort of like you know, would you rather fight you know a uh, one horse sized duck or a hundred uh, duck sized horses? I mean, at some point. I feel like that the women could take Sir Ellen. No, no, the women could absolutely take Sir Ellen. <laughs> I don't think that that's a question. Like, I, I think like it would probably they be want like Sir Ellen to take them. Is that basically it? Like, like they'd if, rather if, have like, Sir Ellen yeah, put them out of the misery before. I think that's status. more the thing. Yeah, I think like if the if the moment is sketched out for them, where it's like, um, you know, this is about to happen and it's about to be very barbaric and terrible, or like we could like very swiftly just behead all of you people. Like if that's what you would prefer, we can do that instead. Mm -hmm. uh, but I they should that, have the choice. They should have the choice to deal with Stannis's men or Sir Ellen. It's like that uh, that that Fear the Walking Dead episode. You know the one where uh, we shouldn't get down the Fear the Walking Dead rabbit. <laughs> but you know the one. You know the one. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. The Hound is in the midst of the battle, and he is dealing with a guy, and Braun ends up taking out the Hound's combatant with a flaming arrow. And the Hound is not super appreciative. He's just sort of like, you know what? There's a lot of fire going on here. 
I'm not comfortable. I'm out. Yeah. I'm taking yeah. a day. Yeah. F you, F you, F you, you're cool. I'm out is basically the hound's move here uh, with this guy who's on fire is running at him. Bron kills him. The hound is not appreciative. As you say, he goes back in, he takes a huge swig of, uh, of water and then demands wine and starts drinking wine. Tyrion's very funny. He's like, can I get you some iced milk and a nice bowl of raspberries too? And the hound was like, yes, yes, that sounds good. <laughs> no, I wish he had said that. Uh, but the hound basically, uh, he has, this kind of iconic line uh, where Tyrion says to him, you're Kingsguard Clegane, we must beat them back if we're going to take back the city. And the Hound says, F the Kingsguard, F the city, F the king. And Joffrey is right there. Joffrey is right there, because he he had right before that, Joffrey said, dog, I command you to go back into this fight. Yeah, yeah. So the dog has been, uh, the dog is off the chain. There's the chain. <laughs> Who let uh, the dog out? <laughs> Joffrey, Joffrey, Joffrey. <laughs> yeah. So the hound is done. He's, he's, uh, that's a very public quit. Uh, that's like the, the thing that you fantasize about when like you hate your work and your, your boss is terrible and it's just abusive to you. Yeah. It's a mic drop for the hound for sure. Uh, and so right around now is when Lancel comes to Joffrey and says, your mother has requested you. Uh, and immediately Joffrey's like, oh, sweet. I oh, have an what's out. what's that? Oh, mother? Oh. <laughs> Gotta go. Must be important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she must want to admire heart eater. Yeah. 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 So he's out. He uh, he drops the mic as well, and everyone is really embarrassed and displeased <laughs> and upset about this. Yeah. Uh, and so Tyrion decides, you know what? I sat out of that first battle in season one. Why don't I charge right into this second battle here, here in season two? And Tyrion says he's going to he's going to lead the fight. And at first, like nobody's really into it, and then he like gives like. I don't know if it's like it's not it's not quite a Braveheart speech, right? Like, I think it's more like the delivery of it is very epic. Peter Dinklage is a spectacular actor, uh, but it's not like freedom. Yeah. Uh, but the the moment where he says those are brave men knocking at our door, let's go kill them. That's a great line. That's yes. very good. And he has a more colorful ending uh, to the speech as well. Yeah, I, I think it's the start. Uh, is he he kicks it off with <laughs> he kicks it off with something that they're going to do once they come behind Sanus Baratheon's right, forces because they're at the gate. His move it's, is let's go out the the back door and then right. come out uh, behind them and then do something to their behind. Yes, that's yes. exactly that's exactly <laughs> correct. That's how that's how it works. Uh, so okay, so now Lancel comes back to to Cersei, and this is when Cersei punches Lancel in the wound. I have that wrong. Uh, it would have been great if she just punched him twice, though. That would have been fantastic. Yeah, and so every all the women there, the hands are very upset seeing the queen knock out Lancel Lannister. And Sansa steps right in and leads everybody in song. And she demonstrates a lot of leadership. Sansa has really come a long way here in season two. Yeah, except that she's not like hanging out here for much longer. Uh, you know, Shay, after Sansa has, has started to like kind of regalvanize the people in this room, Shay comes to her and basically says, you got to leave. Um, you know, it's not going to be good for you if you're here. Like if things really are as bad as Lancel is reporting out there, then this is going to turn south very quickly and you don't want to be here for that. So Sansa is going to go back to her chambers where it turns out the hound is waiting for Sansa. Yeah. 
And Sansa in her chambers, she actually picks up a, a doll here, Josh. Uh, what is the significance of Sansa with the doll? Was that, some, was that a gift from Ned? I think it's, yeah, I think she had this in season one. And I think more than anything, like, I think it's like, it's the contrast of seeing Sansa with a, with a childhood plaything in the middle of this incredibly adult situation. Right. That really, that really shows the journey that she's already been on across these two seasons of, you know, think about where she started the show, like wanting to be the queen of Westeros or to marry like a great lord someday. And so much horrible stuff has happened to her since she's come to King's Landing. And this is like, you know, she's in the thick of the world worst of it now and it's just her and like a childhood comfort item uh in this moment with the hound where he's like kind of coming across as a very intimidating force uh, and she's really standing her ground in a pretty brave way yeah and now she really has entered adulthood full-on in every possible way at this point both uh you know in the physical sense and then also in the emotional sense of everything that she ends up dealing with here all through really since the end of season one through the events of this episode and the hound is going to make a run for it and she's not going to go. And then uh, really the hound, he's like a broken record with this uh, talking about how everybody's a killer. Yeah. I think he's like trying to absolve himself. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, everybody's doing it. I'm not the only one killing it. She, he's basically trying to, you know, absolve himself of being a monster, but I don't think Stan, uh, Sansa is buying the hype. Okay, we go back to the battle, and suddenly we have the battle is turned back to the Lannister forces, and uh, Tyrion is really being hailed as like the hero so far. Yeah, for like five seconds, and then like the battle rages back on, and there's more chaos, and uh, Tyrion ends up getting injured in his own right in a in a pretty savage way. Yeah. So we end up with now a big horde of the Stannis forces uh, raiding the beach. And while it looks as though, you know, Tyrion ends up uh, being saved by one of the Lannister knights, uh, he ends up then being struck by somebody from his own side who then ends up being taken out by Podrick Payne. Yeah, Sir Mandon. Sir Mandon Moore, I believe, is his name. Uh, I don't know if there's any relation to Mandy. Mm. Uh, but he is he is slicing Tyrion in the face, and it looks premeditated. Like, it doesn't look like an accident. It did not it look like, like an accident. They had, like, a moment where he's standing in front of them. You know, they're standing and looking at each other. And then he raises his sword and brings it down yeah. on Tyrion's face. And good thing Tyrion had like half a second to be concerned and step backwards. Otherwise, that would have been his head completely split in half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Podrick is there tending to him as the battle goes on. Uh, we see Tyrion end up closing his eyes uh, towards the end of the episode. But we go back and see Cersei. And now she is sitting on the Iron Throne with Tommen. And she holds in her hand that bottle of essence of nightshade. And she's telling Tom in a story about how in the Kingswood, there was a mother lion and her cub. And she's talking about how that there are evil stags and Tom and a little bit of a know-it-all uh, like up oh, at stags. They eat plants. Like, just go with it. It's the, a metaphor. The antelopes eat the grass. Yeah. yeah it's a circle of life. <laughs> and, she talks about how you're a lion. You mustn't be afraid. All the beasts will bow to you, Tommen. You'll be king. 
and all the birds, they'll come to you. But we're seeing at the same time also different shots of the battle, which are not going well. It's not going great. It's not going well. Or it's really it's less about that. It's not going well and more that it's just like it's intensely violent and crazy uh, in in that sense. Um, but just as Cersei is about to poison Tommen, uh, we see some people burst into the throne room and uh, someone who's wearing Renly Baratheon's armor takes off the helmet. At first, you're like, whoa, is Renly back? But no, it's Loras Tyrell and Loras Tyrell is here. And so is Tywin. Tywin is here. And Cersei is very relieved as soon as Tywin shows up. And he concludes the episode. So you know it's not a cliffhanger. This isn't Freddy versus Jason where you don't know which side won. The battle is over. We have won. And that's it. That's That's it. it. The Lannisters have won the Battle of the Blackwater. Good job, Lannisters. You know, great stuff. Yeah. So Tywin comes in. With Loras Tyrell, and ultimately they beat back Stannis uh, for now. So, a uh, very exciting episode of Game of Thrones. Josh, uh, we have a lot to talk about, even though we've gone through everything still in terms of the spoiler ramifications. So, we'll have that coming up in just a moment. But first, I want to take a moment and thank a sponsor. And, Josh, have you heard about Omaze? Do you know what they do? Uh, I'm not sure that I've heard of Omaze. Could you tell me a little bit more? Okay. Omaze offers once in a lifetime experiences and on their site right now, they've got a amazing game of Thrones experience for a one winner to go to the final season premiere of game of Thrones. That's going to be in, in what? 15 years when the final season premiere is. I was gonna say it's a tall order asking any of us to even still be around by no, the time 20, 2019 where yes. you will see the first episode of the last season before anyone else and also meet the cast and potentially even josh wiggler Oh, my God. I mean, uh, Rob, you and I both know uh, how exciting the Game of Thrones premieres are. We've been to two together in the past. What was it? A season, both season six and season yeah. seven, if I'm remembering that right. Every time that you and I have gone, we have had a true night to remember. All you have to do is support a great cause. Next for autism for your chance to win. All you have to do is donate as little as $10 and the winner will be drawn randomly. Omaze is always offering new amazing experiences like this. Paired with great charities, you could be interviewed by Trevor Noah after a taping of The Daily Show. You'd like that. I like Trevor Noah. That would be fun. That would be very fun indeed. You could play mini golf with you two and much more. So check out the Game of Thrones experience at Omaze. You think Bono is good at mini golf? I was going to say, wait, you can play mini golf yeah. with you two? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Are you playing doubles? Is it like, are you going solo? Is, uh, like, is are you bringing you a friend or could you like be, yeah, are you like teamed up with the edge? Like that seems like a, like a party. I don't know. So check out the Game of Thrones experience at omaze.com slash post show. That's O-M-A-Z-E dot com slash post show and enter for your chance to win. Don't forget to use the promo code post to double your chances of winning and rest easy knowing that even if you aren't the lucky winner, it's all for a good cause. That's at omaze.com slash post show. And with that, let's get into this week's spoilers. All right, sound the horn. Play the drums. I know, play the drums. Ring the bells. Ding, 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 ding. 
All right, and now is the point where we talk about the fact that, uh, I don't know, I was going to make some sort of quarterman joke, but my mind was not fast enough. So, Josh, the uh, girl that was with Braun, she actually was in Littlefinger's brothel, and she was the the, the one who, you, you don't remember? No, or, I really don't. You still don't remember any of this? Okay. No. Um, okay. It's all brand new to me. Okay, anyway, so... Uh, where, where do we start in this uh, spoiler-filled discussion? I don't know. Well, first of all, Davos is not dead. Davos you know, is not dead. He's going to be fine. He's fine through seven seasons of the show, so Mathos don't worry is about him. very dead, though. Mathos is toast. Uh, Mathos has been burned to a crisp, and that is, that is sad. That is sad. I do think that, like, uh, this really does help explain, I think, Davos' affinity for Jon Snow eventually, though, right? Like, I do think that he probably looks at Jon Snow as, like, the son he no longer has. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I think that there's something there. I don't know. I think that we could actually, we could probably like in a, in a quick way, I think that we could probably go through this in sequence. Cause I do think that like, there's some really good, interesting stuff that's happening all over this episode. Um, like the, the brawn and the, and the hound scene, for instance, just to skip ahead to there, yeah. like, is that going to have any kind of payoff? Like, will we get to see like the hound and brawn fighting side by side in season seven or in season eight rather when uh when we finally go to war with the white walkers and we know that they're on the same side now at this point like that would be incredible to get some sort of reconnection of these two and that's a relationship that i had not even been considering uh like i had been doing no fanficking of the two of these characters you together. weren't shipping them no but now i am now i really am i really want to see these two together in the final season now, this is also the episode, and we see Braun at the start of it. He is singing the reigns of Castamere with right. the Lannister men. This is the first episode that really hits you over the head with the reigns of Castamere, including over the end credits where you get another full version of the reigns of Castamere. Yeah, where a full season from now, this song is going to be pivotal. Uh, and this is going to be an iconic song in Game of Thrones lore. And I think it's very clever of the show to be setting it up at this point, which is absolutely what they're doing. You know, in the creation of this episode, they fully know uh, already and have known for years, in fact, that the Red Wedding is on the way. And we've talked about all of the great ways they've been setting that up. And this is just another way where that Red Wedding hype is just boiling at this point. So really smart to put that song on the show and even some Somebody t- like says to Bron, like, how do you know the Lannister song? So like, it's going to be a thing where like, it'll be hard to like, you know, may- maybe not everyone's going to grasp the meaning of that on their first pure raw watch of the Red Wedding. But it's that kind of thing that retroactively like it, it all connects in sort of this incredible, incredible way. OK, so we see Tyrion with Varys and, you know, I had forgotten exactly when we get the full account of what happened with Varys. Is that the season three premiere, Josh? Is that is that coming up? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember if it's the season three premiere. I know it's season three. Like, that's where Varys and Tyrion are going to have that conversation. We're going to see uh, uh, the man in the box. Uh, <laughs> the Varys. Like, who knows what's happened to that guy since then? Yeah. And so we find out, though, this is a thing that Varys hates magic. Josh, is this something that you think that we will have some sort of a payoff? And do you consider dragons to be magic? 
Yeah, I think dragons count as magic, and I think like that probably lends to some of the some of like the uneasiness that Varys has towards Daenerys. Um, I think like I don't know is it is it pure magic or is there some sort of natural aspect to it as well? He might be able to like see a little bit of a gray area in in that department, but I do think that Varys's uh, great fear of magic and having what Melisandre says to Varys in season seven of, of like I'll have to die in this strange country as do you uh spider uh which really uh has suggested to me that Varys, i can't imagine he's going to survive the final season of the show or at least we should be very concerned uh that that's a real you know setting up that Varys will die in the final season and if so gotta imagine some sort of magical force right like i think a white walker bearing down upon Varys would be a very haunting horrible way for that character to end oh wow oh you're really torturing Varys. I don't want to because I love that character, but I think that it is important that Game of Thrones uh, is cruel to some of its beloved characters in this final season in order to give it those stakes, which is another one of the reasons why I'm really worried about the people who are in Winterfell right now. Uh, I think uh, as as much as I, I love uh, so many of these people, I think in order to really uh, escalate the danger of the situation right now, some of these people do have to go in sort of these unceremonious ways. Varys could be one of them. Let's talk about Sansa and Cersei and some of the conversations that they have. A lot of the subtext for Cersei and Sansa's conversation is sort of like a training day of, so one day when you're queen, you're going to need this. Do you feel like that we do get that eventually where we see uh, Sansa as a queen? I think it's I think the training day comparison is actually really interesting in terms of, you know, like training day, the movie. Uh, I think that, you know, that you have this uh, you have like this Denzel Washington type of a queen in Cersei and Sansa playing the part of Ethan Hawke, who I don't think is going to be operating in the same way as Cersei at all. You know, Cersei's going to say that people need to fear you more than they fear the enemy. I don't think that's Sansa's approach at all. I think that there's a pragmatic quality to Sansa as she's the Lady of Winterfell in season seven. But I think that she airs more on the side of the Ned Stark ways of things, certainly by the end of that season. So I thought that that was another thing that was really compelling about watching these scenes between Sansa and Cersei, where Cersei is spouting out all of this perceived wisdom. And certainly she's talking about some things that are probably true. Like, unfortunately, what she is suggesting will happen to all of the hens is probably fairly accurate if Stannis Baratheon is successful in the siege. But I think that Sansa is not buying Cersei's leadership methods. And I I don't think that we're ever going to see Sansa really emulating Cersei in that way. I think in terms of being manipulative to her enemies, I think that that is one thing that she picks up from Cersei. I also liked the conversation that Cersei has with Sansa about the opinion on the gods where Tywin Lannister has a interesting worldview where uh, Sansa asks, oh, so Tywin, you know, doesn't believe in the gods and Cersei answers, no, he believes in them. He just thinks that they're cruel. Which I that I feel like that that's not something that I've necessarily uh, heard that viewpoint before. Well, I think that that could be, you know, we know that magic exists in this world. You know, we know that we know about the children of the forest. We know about the White Walkers. We know, uh, you know, we know we've seen we've seen the shadow monster. We've seen the the mechanic, you know, the machinations of the House of Black and White. Like we have seen a lot at this point 
through seven seasons of Game of Thrones that convince us that there are old powers in the works here. So is it such a reach, the reach, to think that there are some – is there some semblance of gods in the world of Westeros in the long ago past? Is there someone or something Full that gods. was – a relor like the Lord of Light, or yeah, or the Seven, um, maybe. But if so, they're almost certainly very cruel. Uh, so, like, I, I, I think that there's something to to Tywin's worldview there. I wonder what kind of payoff we could get later on down the line in the show. Josh, do you see any parallels here between how Stannis goes down here and his ultimate downfall from the Bolton forces? Yeah, I think, you know, they kind of yada yada through it in season five when Stannis finally meets his end at the the battle at Winterfell or the first battle at Winterfell, such as it is. We don't really get to see the battle itself. Uh, but I think that, like, you can imagine how it goes uh, because we see how it goes here. We see, you know, the huge wildfire explosion, uh, which, by the way, great to see the, the wildfire first set off in an episode that deeply involves Cersei, but also involves a lot of Lancel Lannister. Uh, I'd forgotten about Lancel's role in this episode. So we know, of course, Lancel is going to die by wildfire at some point in the future. Um, but we see once the wildfire ignite and it kills so many of Stannis's forces uh, that Stannis is all like he's so stubborn. He's just going to charge into battle anyway. Uh, and that moment in season five, when the Bolton troops surround Stannis's army, there's this great moment of Stannis just drawing out his sword anyway, uh, just going off and doing that no matter what. Uh, so I do think that there is some symmetry there in terms of how Stannis just recklessly charging into battle here in King's Landing is going to mirror the way that even though we don't see it, Stannis, I wouldn't even say recklessly, but just sort of defiantly, he doesn't take a loss until the loss is decisive. You know, it's so interesting also, Josh, that we see Sansa end up having this meeting with the Hound. He wants Sansa to come with him to go somewhere. And then he ends up in two seasons, basically spending the entire season with Sansa's sister, Arya. Yeah, I mean, it's going to start next season even. I, I um, Yeah, By the end he, of it, yeah. He, yeah, he comes into contact with Arya in season three, and it's their journey in season three and season four. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. I've certainly said it in conversation. I can't imagine I haven't said it in the podcast that I really do believe that the Hound is going to be one of those unexpected characters to make it all the way through the end of Game of Thrones. Or even if he goes out uh, before the end of the show, I think it won't be without a moment of extraordinary service for uh, Sansa or Arya or both. Uh, and I really hope that it's that he survives and i really hope that the outcome is you know sansa is in some sort of position of power and the hound is in a position to serve her for the rest of his time to find like some sort of measure of atonement there but i think that everything with the hound in this episode is so great considering where we know the hound is through seven seasons of the show where he's talking about how stannis is a killer the lannisters are killers your father was a killer everybody's a killer the world is built by killers you'd better get used to looking at them you know this is such a raw guy when he actually speaks when he actually uh is is allowing himself moments of vulnerability dude just wants to be loved he wants to be accepted he wants somebody to like look him in the eye and you know Sansa in this moment is able to look him in the eye and i think finally we're seeing through the uh through the point that we're at in game of thrones now um that moment where he himself is able to look in the fire and he himself is able to kind of confront himself and who he was and what he has done and move forward in a realistic way of like there's no making up for the bad things that he's done 
but the world does not have to belong to the killers, I think is kind of the idea behind the Hound. So I love what they do with the Hound in this episode. Really, really amazing stuff. And Tyrion, we are going to see him in the next episode that he is going to survive the cut to his face. Uh, he is not going to be disfigured as badly as in the books. For anybody who doesn't know that, Josh, could you explain the differences between TV Tyrion's injuries and book Tyrion's injuries? Yeah, don't pour out any uh, iced milk for Bronze nose on the shows, but mm-hmm. do pour some iced milk out for Tyrion's nose in the books, which gets at least like three quarters of the way sliced off in that uh, in that action that we see on the show. Show gives him like the sexy Kylo Ren scar, uh, but the book, like he's like already like in the book, George R. R. Martin is pretty vicious about the way he physically describes Tyrion, mm-hmm. and afterwards, uh, like any time anyone is looking at Tyrion. Uh, it's uh, apparently it's not much of a sight and it's it's very upsetting so he really gets disfigured in the battle of the blackwater in the book on the show he kind of gets like a like a cool like gi joe action figure scar you know it's not so bad and if you can't get the kylo ren scar you could at least hope to get the kylo ren pants uh, which come up to your nipples (laughs) those are also neither here nor there but i but i know what to get you for christmas this year yes yes and then we also have Cersei with Tommen on the Iron Throne. Uh, she says to Tommen, you know, one day you will be king. One day you right. will sit in that chair. So uh, that, you know, in the, in the moment, she thinks he's going to die. Uh, he will actually die. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, though, that like the door swings open and it's like Cersei stops what she's doing. Like, I'm really surprised that she didn't just like, oh, quick, drink this. Oh, they're here. Yeah, drink, 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 drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I don't know. Yeah, that's that's interesting too. That of course, Tommen will uh, will will not be long for this world, but he will sit on the throne before his end. Uh, I don't know why she's like saying like I think that you know I think that the secret truth is Cersei's not not herself. She's not a big Joffrey fan either. She just kind of has to yeah. love him because she gives that to Sansa. She's like, oh yeah. yeah. She's like, oh yeah, you'll love him. Just uh, have fun with that, just like I yeah. did with uh, Robert. Yeah, enjoy that. Enjoy yeah. that. What happened uh, to Joffrey? He said he was going to go uh, be summoned. He went to his chambers. Oh, he yeah, went to his room. Yeah, he's just hanging out. Okay. He's probably shooting his crossbow at stuff. Okay, so hide out there. There you go, yeah. Joffrey. Yeah. All right. Oh, my God. The Battle of Blackwater Bay is over, and so is our discussion, Josh. A- anything else that you want to get out there into the universe before we move oh into God. the season two finale next week? No, I, you know, even just talking it through, I love, uh, I love that penultimate episode in season one so much. And the death of Ned Stark is such an iconic moment. I think a more important moment than anything we get in Blackwater. I think Blackwater is filled with lots of stuff that, uh, in retrospect is really, really great. But like in terms of like the overall story of Game of Thrones, like, you could in like the recapping of it for somebody like if you had five minutes to recap the entirety of Game of Thrones, I think you could leave out Blackwater. But that being said, the episode is just constructed so brilliantly. Um, and like you mentioned at the start of this, like it's not just the action stuff. The quiet moments are so spectacularly done that I do think just in talking it through, I'm going to put it at number one in the in the episode rankings. I think I think I think that this is the best episode of Game of Thrones through this point of the show. I don't think it'll keep the title forever. Uh, 
but it's just it's it's so good. It's it's really it's just really it's so focused. It's focused in a way that we've never seen the show and focused not just in terms of the story, uh, but focused in the telling of the story and the way that the episode is structured. So uh, really brilliantly done. Is it worth everything else in season two like he posed at the top of this podcast? I don't know about that. Uh, but, you know, it's all coming to an end soon and then we're in the really, really good stuff. So I can I can weather one more episode of season two. And uh, if we got Blackwater out of the deal, uh, it's not the worst deal in the world. All right. Good stuff. Josh, uh, what else do you have going on these days? Uh, what else we have going on these days? Well, I think by the time that this comes out, you guys probably know there's a new season of first one out over at RHAP, what? which is a very exciting thing. On the off chance that you've listened to this before a certain time on Wednesday, maybe you're getting a scoop. But uh, first one out has returned. Uh, the Survivor preseason podcast is over at RHAP. Very excited about uh, what we've cooked up there. Great work from Taryn Armstrong once again. A little bit of a twist this season. What? I'll let you I'll let you discover the twist this season uh, on your own, but that's very fun. I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about that. In terms of the post show recap stuff, we've got a we're going to do a one off podcast that I'm really really excited about. Uh, we are going to be uh, the the final episode of season two of The Good Place is airing this week. Rob, are you in on The Good Place? You know what, Nicole has watched it. I've heard great things about it, but I have not kept up with it. It's it, like the quick elevator pitch cell is it's lost meets parks and recreation, uh, which is uh, certainly something that would tickle my fancy. And indeed, it does. It's a terrific, terrific show uh, that we are going to do a wrap up on season two. I'm sure we will do kind of like an overall little bit of a spoiler free take on what the show is all about just to sell anybody who has not gotten in on the good place yet. But we're going to be recording that this weekend with myself, Mike Bloom and Antonio Mazzaro is the crew. Uh, uh, going to be a really, really fun podcast. We would love your feedback for that. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is the best way to send that in. Or you can tweet at me. I'm at Rand Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. Or Antonio is at AC Mazzaro 2Zs1R. Uh, however you want to get your questions to us, we would love to field those on the Good Place podcast that we've got coming up this weekend. All right. So great stuff. Can't wait to get into the season two finale coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash Game of Thrones. Follow Josh on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.